0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Welcome to the NASCAR NBC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today, coming to you from the fourth floor terrace at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Media Center. I actually thought we were going to be on the third floor, but we're on the fourth floor, which means we have an outstanding view here of the infield midway, the TV compound, and we can almost make out the snake pit where various debauchery happened today a lot of EDM (laughs) music. And appropriately, because I mentioned EDM, (laughs) I'm joined by (laughs) Jeff Gluck of jeffgluck.com. Thanks for being here, Jeff.
2: Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Uh... Please don't throw me off the balcony if I don't have a good podcast. I feel a lot of pressure coming on the NBC podcast because it's always such high quality, and I'm a big fan and big listener, so I I really want to not disappoint the people who are listening. So I'll try my best here, Nate.
1: I have no qualms at all. I have no compunction that you're doing a great job. That's why we had you on. I really appreciate you doing this. Obviously, we're here to talk about the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500, which was just won by Will Power. Jeff, very interesting race today. I think it was what we expected, but if you're a fan of the Indy 500, it wasn't really what you were expecting uh, based off the last six editions of this race, which featured just nonstop lead changes. Toward the end of the day, there were still a lot of lead changes. There, there ended up being about 30 lead changes, which was the fewest since 2011, but last year there were 35. It just wasn't on par with like the 68 lead changes and the 40 or 50 that they had in that sweet spot that Indy had from 2012 to to 2016. But still a good race. I want to talk about the race itself, but let's start by talking about the guy we both thought was the show today. Will Power won the race, as I mentioned. But the guy who put on the best show was Alexander Rossi of Andretti Autosport. And there were two restarts in particular where he just went to the outside, and you like turned around. And you were like, you "Gotta watch this! You gotta watch this!" Because I was doing something else and looked up at the replay, and it was like watching a guy basically fit his car through a hole that was just big enough to fit his car both times.
2: Yeah, that was really that was definitely the highlight of the day, I think. And nothing this takes nothing away from Willpower. Right. Obviously, I mean, he won the race and deservedly so. It's not like he backed into it or didn't have to do anything hard. I mean. He certainly drove a great race himself, but he had favorable track position, right. um, as we'll get to later. You know, at one point, I mean, you you completely debunked the stat, the strategy in a Steve Letarte way by saying this is this is no, it, it was Power's race the entire time. Like you you saw right through the strategy and what was going to happen. So Power didn't have to do anything spectacular necessarily, while Rossi absolutely had to do spectacular things and and did, um, and in. You know, he took—he so downplayed it afterwards. Like, wow, you know, that was the hole. You know, that's where I was going to – that's where I had to put it. But, I mean, you know, nobody else was trying – I don't even think anybody else was trying those moves on the outside, let alone making them work, especially on the restarts. It was, like, insane. I mean, think about the start of the race where – were so excited about how they're, they're starting three wide, and they go into turn run turn one basically wussing out, I think. <laughs> you know, like they they yeah. all kind of sort they themselves did. out. No, they did. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. But so he was the one that was really starting to make moves. And I think that kind of set the tone for the whole last 50 laps, because then uh, Kanan started making daring moves. Other guys started making moves in traffic. Up until like that point where you got to the end of the race, we were all looking at each other thinking, "Oh, oh boy, they really screwed this up.
1: Right. No lead changes in the first 30 laps. Ed Carpenter started on pole and, and led it, and it was very much a single-file parade for the first 30 laps. And I think there was some great uh, consternation that that might be how the race unfolded. Again, as I said, I think the end of the race sort of saved it. But I think you're right, Jeff. I think Rossi showed the way. He showed people, hey, on first of all, you got to get all you can get on restarts. It was very much like a NASCAR race in that regard, say, a NASCAR race that we've seen at a a mile-and-a-half track in recent years where aerodynamics are so important, and if you don't gain positions on a restart, you're not going to gain positions because everything is so error-dependent and guys just fall behind each other. So this race felt like that, but I feel like, as you said, Rossi was the first guy who recognized that restarts were going to be the only time I'm really going to advance my position. So he picked up probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 or 10 positions and two restarts, and as you said afterward he was extremely nonchalant about it we've talked about this in the past that I don't know his background as well as I should I'm going to go attempt to write a column on him right now and and explore a little bit more of that but there was a time when Alexander Rossi was supposed to be the next great American hope in Formula One it didn't pan out he kind of ended up here almost by happenstance in some ways I think a few years ago at Andretti wins the Indy 500 as a rookie in 2016 today starts 32nd and again, that was part of the reason why he had to really get up there. He mentioned that toward the end, that if he had started third, he might have be approaching this differently. But starting 32nd, he had to make these moves. But as you said, uh, Jeff, he had the cojones to make them. And you're a, f- a viewer of The Amazing Race. I, I unfortunately did not seem to see this last season. So I want your perspective. To tell me, w- what's the case for Alexander Rossi as a personality? Because it, it feels to me as if he's got obviously great gumption, on the track he's great to watch but off the track i don't want to say the media feels like a nuisance to him but it it seems as if he kind of gives you the short clipped answers and isn't so enamored with being a personality like a james hinchcliffe would be
2: right i think that's fair i think that we saw um sort of the higher end of his answers today he he was he was smiling for by his standards you know um or trying to suppress a smile and he couldn't do it because he he knew that he did some cool things today i think you know what i mean and he's like well you know it that, the hole is there you, you go for it and things like that. And, but, but he was sort of smiling at the same time. Um, I think that, you know, when you watch the amazing race, Connor Daly was sort of like the exciting, vibrant personality. And, um, Alexander was, was the straight man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he, you know, I don't think he's an unpleasant person. He just comes across as, look, he's serious. I mean, he's focused on racing. This is what he, he's here to do. Um, he's, he reminds me, uh, maybe a little bit more of like, I don't know, maybe like a Chase Elliott type or something hmm. um, who's not going to give you necessarily a whole lot, even if you're you make multiple attempts to try to get something. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know yeah. that he's going to totally open up, but I think that he must be um, he must have a, a, a lot of a fun side because. The Amazing Race people really like him. the The winners of Amazing Race were there watching our interview on pit road. Oh, no kidding! Yes, they were standing <laughs> there, and then.
1: At one time, I would have known that in my life, but the, I'm uh, glad you picked up on that, Jeff.
2: One of the other uh, contestants, I think, she, her team finished, maybe, you know, maybe top three. Also, with Rossi's team on the Amazing Race, she was taking pictures of us interviewing him on pit road with ah. the media mob. So <laughs> he had a, he had a contingent of Amazing Racers out. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, he obviously, I mean, I think he has, he's somewhat of a star quality. But I'll tell you what, it's it's almost like uh, when when you hear um, Daniel Ricciardo uh, in recent weeks where he says, you know, you got to lick the stamp and send it. Yes. I mean, that kind of thing, personality or not, that's the kind of thing that makes you get fans and makes you sort of like gives you legend status. I'm not going to say he has legend status from just this right, one race. Right, But, but that
1: swashbuckling see, attitude, that devil yeah. may care. I don't care. I'm the best guy here. I'm the most courageous and brave. I'm just going to do this.
2: Yeah. And, like, things that you can't do. And he's even saying, I mean, on Pit Road, you know, I think Bruce or somebody asked him, um, hey, you know, how comfortable were you in, in making those moves? He's like, Well, comfortable enough, but you're never super <laughs> totally comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, your, your butt yeah. is clenched all the way around. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I – I I was definitely impressed with with what he did obviously.
1: I, I was hugely impressed by his driving and I felt like I got to know him a little bit more afterward in that yeah, as you said like again, I don't want to like bestow like Steve McQueen status on him here, but there was like a coolness to him and I think that is part of the vibe is like he's got that it's I it's got to be a European thing. It's got to be something that he spent so much time over there and and thought he was going to go to F1 and make that a career I think at one point. It's got to be sort of like that there's a little bit of Kimi Raikkonen in, in all of those guys of like, oh, this is what I do. I'm one of the best drivers in the world. Why are you wasting my time? with their stupid questions? Like, yeah. he's not quite like that, obviously he's an American guy, and he's, he's personable. but so on the amazing races there you said Daly was sort of the star. Was there something about him though, about Rossi that kind of um, I don't know uh, endeared you to him? Is there one thing a quality that you liked about him? That I should go back and watch the Amazing Race. Now that I know he's going to be a, a, an IndyCar star here and a champion, probably in the near future.
2: Uh, you know, I wish I could give you something, but it was really Connor Daly that was the star, and um, Alexander Rossi throughout that. I mean, it, you know, he would give, he would smile, and he would give good interview things, or you know, in their yeah. confessionals, you know, narration of the story. But um, it wasn't like he was, you know, he jumped off the screen at you. It wasn't like you're like, okay. wow, this guy is, has got it. Yeah. you know that that wasn't him.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, again, certainly his style on the racetrack was the most beguiling part of the one hundred second one hundred second running of the Indianapolis five hundred, and you know there's just no way to put too fine a point on it, Jeff. And the guys were saying it afterward. Rossi said that IndyCar should look at changes for next year. His car owner, Michael Andretti, said it. Uh, Scott Dixon said he thought some tweaks possibly needed. even Ed Carpenter, who said that he liked the fact that it made it more difficult and put more of an emphasis on driver's ability still thinks they need some some changes for next year. So it's it's great that you're on here Jeff because you have such the pulse of what the racing fan in America is thinking and saying and and you know how they're reacting to this. What was your take on how social media reacted to this race and do you think IndyCar is probably going to have to make some changes for next year to uh, get more passing?
2: I think so. It almost seems like a given based on how the IndyCar drivers were all reacting. Um, they're very. They seem very upfront and honest about like, hey, we knew we had something really good going for these yeah. recent Indy 500s. This was not the same. Nobody, you know, we we're asking drivers this on pit road, and, and nobody was like, oh, really? Well, I thought it was a great right. race. I Which sometimes think. we get
1: in NASCAR right, a lot. Right.
2: Yeah. These guys were like, no, this is you know, it's not acceptable. We're gonna have to change this. Oh, some changes need to be made. Um, you know, Graham Rahal said the only time you could pass someone today was when somebody made a mistake in front of you, and you just had to wait for that to happen. So, you know, that's that's not the direction they're going to go. So I I think based on IndyCar's recent past, I think that they will probably do something to listen to the drivers. I do think, though, that like social media, I mean, most of the people that follow me are NASCAR fans. They're like, what is this? Like, you know, you you NASCAR writers who went over the Indy 500 told us this was going to be exciting. And there was a zillion passes last year and we're watching what looks like a mile and a half track race. You know, like, well, this is this is boring. So, uh, you know, I I do think it it got good at the end. But one one thing you said at the start of the podcast was that this is what we expected. And I do think, you know, there was elements of it that we expected as far as, like, the heat spreading people out and things like that. But the drivers at Media Day that I felt like they were trying to – maybe they were trying to convince themselves, but, like, people like Newgarden were saying, well, I think it is going to get spread out. But at the front of the field, you'll still see those guys – making the passes, and so that'll be fine. It'll just get more spread out, but you'll still be able to do the slingshot things. That wasn't the case. I mean, that totally was gone. So I think that had to surprise even them a little bit.
1: Yeah, and so you think that, and it's interesting here. That's a great point you make about most people following you are NASCAR fans, and they're probably thinking, well, just throw some plates and some aero ducks on there, man, and you're gonna make things (laughs) all right here. Uh, But there is this weird juxtaposition here where (laughs) NASCAR obviously is going in this direction with its rules where we're going to see that package we saw at the All-Star race again with the aeroducts, with the plates, that you know, bunches things up, and yeah, the leader is still hard to pass, but the leader is certainly a lot more within range to pass, and if he makes a mistake, then uh, a lead change is probably going to happen. Meanwhile, in IndyCar, they've got this new car that people seem to be really happy with. Uh, Rossi told us out on in, in pit lane that he thinks it's gorgeous, it's great. Um, I've heard owners say they like that it's simple, they like that it's cheaper, the, the aero kit they finally got in a good place, but it seems like they're going in the direction NASCAR went with the low downforce package where they want to make it hard again. They want to make give drivers a lot of horsepower, but less downforce. So do you think IndyCar is going to go through the same philosophical struggle that we're seeing NASCAR go through right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's suddenly, uh, and it, this is what I think ties it back to NASCAR. I'm going to try to attempt to write about this later. I don't know how successfully I'm no Nate Ryan, but I, I I will say that, you know, NASCAR is obviously in sort of a um, a crisis of what what are we right now? And and there was the whole when Carl Edwards was around, it was like, look, guys, you know, you need to cut off the whole spoiler. You can need, need to make these things hard to drive. That's when you're going to see the passing game. And I think NASCAR did listen to that for a little bit or guys like Carl. Finally, we're getting the low downforce, you know, the low downforce packages, Kentucky and all that stuff was a big hit. They went that direction, didn't really work. So now they're toying with this high downforce, the idea that worked at the all-star race. And all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, maybe this is the direction to go for racing because look what happened to the Indy 500. The Indy 500 goes from this unbelievable race to this race where they get out of the cars and immediately there's no second guessing at all. They're like, this, this isn't what we want. Um, fans saying this isn't what we want too so maybe more downforce is the way to go it's funny how this is swung totally the other direction but um, the the only complication is and I, I'm not an expert enough on IndyCar to know how this works but it seemed like their whole new car thing they're trying to get simplistic as you said and have one thing that fits the ovals and and th- they were like well maybe it maybe this will affect the Indy 500 a little bit, but it'll make for a good show on our other races. Well, then they hurt their biggest, most important race. But how hard would it be for them? I, I don't know the answer to, you know, have something different for just this race. Um, it That makes it more expensive.
1: Then you're getting into what NASCAR is facing right now, where you're having teams say, well, how many different packages are you going to run through in the course of the year if you're right. going to have the that all-star package, the restrictor plate package, a road course package, a regular package? That's four different variables you can probably only have so many before uh, indycar just like nascar is worried about costs for for team owners but i go back to as you just said jeff i mean a lot of it is this balance which i guess is just consuming all of racing and probably will be the end of time between entertainment and making it fun to watch versus making sure that you separate the wheat from the chafe and guys like kyle bush who obviously was a little frustrated with the all-star package because he's an all-world driver that that is reflected in the racing yeah,
2: well, and I think it's very sensitive here as well. Well, of course it is a NASCAR too because yeah. everybody's trying to figure it out. But I feel like the Indy Five Hundred has solely sort of brought IndyCar Car racing back a little bit, and a lot of that certainly it has to be because of the 100th running and all the right. hype around that. But a lot of it has to do with wow, this is the last you know five years in a row until today was like. Dude, this is unbelievable. It's not just the
1: biggest race in the world. It's the greatest race in the world. Yeah. It, it was the best race to watch for, like, four or five straight years there. So
2: yeah. if they get away from that at all, uh, there's no 200th running coming anytime soon <laughs> yeah. of, the, of the Indy 500 to celebrate. So you got to do whatever you can to keep this race strong. Yep. Maybe, maybe it is at the expense of your other races. I don't know what you do. But... Um, you know, in a perfect world, you I think you would go back to the days of well, this is our road course car, this is our short track car, this is whatever, whatever car. But I think in today's racing, with finances being such an issue, maybe you just you just can't do that. So you're if you have one common car, you're giving something up on every track, right? Basically, because there's it's it's there's no one car that fits every track.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So the other NASCAR connection today, Jeff, was uh, Danica Patrick's final start as a racing driver. Uh, unfortunately, it ended just like her final start in NASCAR. She crashed out of the Daytona 500. She crashes out today after uh, qualifying 7th and running fairly well um, early. I mean, she was kind of holding her own, like, in the the, the low teens, like, around 12th, 13th, and then, like, so many drivers today. I mean, she was probably one of seven or eight guys, many very experienced. You had guys like Bourdais and Castro Neves. The car just snapped, and it was gone, and she was wrecked. And obviously, afterward, she was fairly disappointed—not the way she wanted to end. What were your takeaways on her last start?
2: Well, I think there was a lot of um, Schadenfreude uh, <laughs> as far as as people on social media and things like that being like, "Ha, ah, uh, yeah. you know, you know, you you made us pay attention to you. We didn't want to pay attention to you, and this is what happens. So goodbye, good riddance, kind of thing." But I I will say that I was actually really really impressed by her whole the indie part of this whole experience for her. Um, You know, when, uh, you know, I was pretty cynical when she first said, you know, I'm going to come back to these last two races. And I'm like, oh, my God, she has no business trying to go back to IndyCar after a seven year layoff. That is super dangerous. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, it just seems like a really bad idea. But actually, she did the complete opposite where she came back to IndyCar and she proved like she is a great IndyCar driver. I mean, she made the fast nine in a really tough uh, situation for drivers. I mean, there were some very good drivers. Hitchcliffe missed the entire race. Right. Um, And now that wasn't totally his fault, you know, things with the car. But, I mean, she had gone out there and proven herself. And the drivers on media day were like, man, I mean, Sebastian Bourdais says, I really wish she had never left because I think that her career could have been an entirely different story. I understand the financial reasons, but I'm sad that it didn't really work out for her here. Or, you know, she didn't stay here because it it could have been a, a different conversation. She went to NASCAR and got this reputation that, you know, that she's not a good driver. I think, actually, she probably was a good driver, at least for Indy cars, And maybe, maybe after seeing this, maybe it was more of a fact that uh, she fell victim to the open wheel, trying to go to NASCAR thing, like Dario and people like that, rather than she just wasn't good. Because I think she proved herself this yeah. weekend. Unfortunately, it didn't end well for her. But um, I thought she made a good showing of herself overall. And sort of, even though it was her last race, reminded people, like, hey, actually, uh, I'm good at this.
1: Oh, and to that end, I think it, it prompted... As you just kind of alluded to, Jeff, some second-guessing. I mean, she said that no matter what, even if she had won today, this was it. This was going to be her last race. But people were asking, you know, what if she did come back? She showed she could do it. And, of course, what if she hadn't left? And I had um, Elton Alexander, who writes for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, longtime auto racing writer for that newspaper, say he was asking me about, like, do you think five years from now Danica will come to realize or or she'll admit that, hey, maybe I shouldn't have gone to NASCAR? And I told him no because – I think like she's always going to look at it as regardless of how she did in NASCAR, that was a move or how it might have taken away from what she could have accomplished here. That was a move she had to make because if she hadn't made it, she would always wonder, what if I didn't go to the most, you know, the biggest platform, the biggest like broadcast of my ability as a, and, and my brand, which we know is very important to her, I I don't think she has any second thoughts about, like, hey, if I would have stayed in IndyCar, maybe I would have won again, again. Maybe I would have done better in NASCAR. I think that no regrets. What do you think?
2: I think that's true, and, and especially at the time, somebody, may, it might have been you, reminded me this weekend like it was much more of a no-brainer at that time, too, yeah. the way IndyCar was, uh, its stature was, compared to NASCAR. It was all
1: predicated on her. Yeah. At, at much more so. The, right. Like you said, this race changed it. Right. Yeah.
2: Mm. And, and, you know, um, obviously she would already made her decision then, but uh, Weldon had just gotten killed. Right. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that was like, obviously, the path is for her to go to NASCAR and try this, see if it works. And, um, you know, as she said the other day, you know, she's always going to be have this thing on her resume now. I think there's she's one of 14 drivers in history, not just female, but any drivers to lead laps in both the Daytona 500 and Indy 500. So she's always going to have that on her resume. That's always going to be part of her legacy. And if she had never gone to NASCAR, no matter how it worked out, she wouldn't have things like that. She wouldn't be able to say she was the first woman to win a cup poll. Um, So those are things that all go into it, part of your legacy. Maybe she could have won more here. But if she had, would it have changed anything? I I don't really know.
1: Yeah. Certainly, uh, she moves on now to the next phase of her life, which is going to include maybe or cooking shows, or, or cookbooks, or more fashion lines, or apparently a lot of time in Green Bay. We'll, <laughs> we'll keep an eye on on what's to come there. We do know what's ahead for Will Power. Uh, he is now not only the 2014 IndyCar Series champion, he's the 2018 Indianapolis 500 champion. Brings Roger Penske his 16th? 17th. 17th. Yep. Wow. Roger Penske gets his 17th win as a team owner, and of course, it's two things that matter to Roger Penske. Uh, winning the championship in the Indianapolis 500. And Will Power's now done both of those. So where where do you think, what do you think this does for Will Power? I guess, you know, what do you know about Will Power, Jeff? I know a little bit about him. I know he's a little off-kilter. He's an, a fun Australian. But um, as somebody who doesn't cover IndyCar all that much, what, what do you make of this guy?
2: Seems like he's real intense. He's always got those eyes, like, popped wide open. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, he seems like he has a good sense of humor and is a good personality. But I think that I have gotten fooled, a while into thinking that and i was actually i actually started typing this out as a tweet today uh this morning and then i thought no it's just not true i was going to say that oh you know somebody's life will change today when they win the indy 500 and i thought about how um alexander rossi's life probably didn't really change that much when he won it like his day-to-day life um yeah maybe it it helped him extend a career in indycar or something but um maybe it got him on the amazing race (laughs) yeah it got him on the amazing race (laughs) but like i i just don't think that when you win the indy 500 nowadays that it's like Oh my gosh! Yeah. This is forever changed. I mean, sure, he'll be able to be come back as a legend and all all those things now, and uh, he'll always be able to say he's an Indy 500 winner. But I just don't think that it's like gonna launch him into superstar status or something like that. You know, it, it, especially because I, you know, people, even though the Indy Indy 500 is still a huge race, not as many people are paying attention to it nationally, and it's just in a, a time of transition right now. So, um, but I do think that. You know, for his racing career, this is big. You saw how happy the other drivers were for him. So they really, I obviously think a lot of them. On media day, he was, like, fantasizing about what it would be like to win and talking about, wow, you know, just to do that in front of all those people, that would be just, I mean, he was, like...
1: That was interesting. Like He he said after, and today in the Winners News Conference, he said that he'd been thinking about Indy more than ever recently, like the last year. And, And he's a guy who seems to me like... He he could maybe get in trouble in overthinking things because, like you said, he's so intense and he's so, he so would seem to be very tunnel visioned. But obviously, it it worked for him, I guess.
2: Well, I think too that you know a lot of people kind of overlooking at him, uh, overlooking him as saying he's not an oval guy, which he wasn't right. for so long. And so and and he had had what, what was it 2015 or something like that where he had had a pretty decent race going. and Then something happened in the pits, I think. Um, so yeah, he
1: lost to d- Montoya uh yeah. toward the end after yet I, I think some sort of problem right that sounds right. about right yeah
2: um so you know obviously he'd come close and i think he'd been getting better obviously but it's just uh i think now maybe he, he'll find some sort of a, a piece in his career but i don't think that it's going to change i mean he's obviously he's still the, he's the points leader so it's not like it's yeah. gonna change anything about his season um I don't know. I just think it's a solid win and something he put on his resume and be satisfied with, but I just don't see it as like a life changer.
1: You might be right. Reputation-wise might be the biggest thing because he's always been known as one of the best in the world, if not one of the best ever, on road and street courses. Like He is just phenomenal when it comes to turning left and right and shifting and doing all those things, but the knock on him was always ovals, and when he went head-to-head with Dario Franchitti on a couple of championship runs, I think Franchitti won those championships because he could beat Power on the Ovals. So this this might go a long way in certainly changing that reputation. And no matter what happens, when Will Power comes back here next year, 2019 the Indianapolis 500 will be on NBC. So we will be telling that story next year and uh, hopefully telling it very well and we look forward to, to doing that next year. Uh, but right now, we're looking forward to tonight. Coca-Cola 600, you've got a podcast coming up yeah. Um, um, hopefully with NASCAR. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. Hopefully with NASCAR Chasm. Uh, I'm going to go to NASCAR Chasm's house. I think you're you're invited. You should come. I'm going to try. Okay. <laughs> you have some work to do. I got to look. Yeah. But yeah, I'm we're going to watch like the always. watch the 600. Hopefully, there's no rain delays, and I'll record my post race podcast. Uh, I doubt it'll be as good as as your. Podcast. Well, Please. no. you yeah, actually. Well, that, this is it. Like, yeah, that's not a good thing to say because it sounds like th- I'm. This is a good podcast
1: horn. because you're on it, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, th- thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this, Jeff. Really appreciate it. you. Do great work. JeffGluck.com is where people should go to check out all the coverage from this past week, this weekend, and check out Jeff's upcoming podcast with NASCAR Thank
2: you so much for having me. I may have invited myself on this no no this was um. this was
1: always my plan (laughs) so this is a big event we're gonna have it next year so i I needed a partner for this podcast so thanks for being here good thank you all right a reminder that the nascar nbc podcast is available on apple podcasts please leave a rating or review really helps us out so again rating and review if you're listening on apple podcasts also available on spotify google play stitcher anywhere you can download podcasts you can pretty much find this one if you have any feedback as always send to me on twitter at nate ryan is my handle Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast.